Hi, I'm Paul Haverschrud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. The city of Winnipeg is having a moment. Don't take my word for it, though. You hear about it when you talk to people, about what's changing and the sense of possibility they have for their town. This is the kind of story we love to tell on The Current, and sure, we could do that from a distance, but you know what's even better? Telling it firsthand. And so, hello, Winnipeg. Coming up, how a new generation of Indigenous leaders is helping to reshape this city and the lessons that holds for the rest of the country. Part of that cohort is the man elected to lead this province. Wab Canoe became Premier last fall. He arrived with promises of reconciliation to fix health care and end homelessness. Well, now the hard work begins. In a moment, the Premier joins us on stage to talk about the weight of expectations and those very tough decisions ahead. Also coming up, a journey through the food culture of Manitoba with two locals who chronicle what people here love to eat, and that includes the Fat Boy, a burger that has to be eaten to be believed and is something that Winnipeggers hold very dear. We're also going to celebrate winter, even in a year when it doesn't feel especially wintry here. And yes, indeed, we have a soundtrack. The brilliant singer-songwriter William Prince has seen his career climb like a rocket. He won a Juno, he played at the Grand Ole Opry, he opened for Willie Nelson, he does a mean Backstreet Boys cover as well, and we are delighted to have William Prince with us for the next 90 minutes. We have a lot to cram in. Are you ready? Let's go. Live from the West End Cultural Center in downtown Winnipeg, my name is Matt Galloway, and this is The Current. Do you hear that? It is a sold-out crowd here in this wild, beautiful, famous hall. People know it coast to coast to coast, and we are delighted to be here with you. William Prince has had an incredible year. He has been nominated for two Junos, including for Songwriter of the Year. He's been selling out theaters across this country. He's on a break on his tour, and yet on that break agreed to come and play for us. We are so very lucky to have him with us here in this intimate space. Please welcome, if you would... William Prince. This crowd loves you. Feels that way. How's the tour? Terrific, you know. Um, you might be familiar, a little place called Massey Hall yes. that we just, uh, we just sold to the rafters the other night. Incredible. I'm so, so moved by the support. Everybody. You know this room well as well. I mean, what does it mean to be on this stage? Well, this is, I've said for years, my, my favorite stage in all of Canada, I think. The West End Cultural Center here, where it all began. It all began for me. It really began with uh, Jason Hooper and just so many good folks, volunteers mm. over the years, supporting my shows and 
filling this room up time and time again. I'm so honored to be here with you all. Fantastic. Um, you're going to play a song for us. What are you going to sing for us first? I'll play the first song off my new record, Stand in the Joy. You know, um, it's a, an album I wrote about embracing the good things. And uh, the first song isn't a total departure, but it's all about the privilege that it is to mean so much to someone that when you're apart from them, you miss them. You feel that, that beautiful ache, you know? Is the moon shining bright where you are? Is it even shining at all? Running like a white line down the middle of some old memory. Does the evening unfold in waves the desire to be nowhere or to go out and rage like a time when it was more than just some old memory When you miss someone Tears you apart and then some When you miss someone Someone you love and Is the silence quiet or loud a lifetime of questions, lost and profound, professing to a silhouette of trees on the ground here in front of me. When you miss someone, tears you apart and then some. When you miss someone, someone you Love. Now it's here in your absence My mind doing backflips Reserve tank running on E Intergalactic into the static Searching for a memory Oh, when you miss someone Oh, when you miss someone When you miss someone Tears you apart and then some When you miss someone Someone you love 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 That's really special, thank you very much.
Just stick around for a minute because we have somebody who's going to come up on the stage that you know pretty well. His background is as a CBC journalist. He's a best-selling author. He was a rapper, might still be a rapper, who knows? He's now uh, the first ever First Nations Premier of a Canadian province. Please welcome to the stage, if you would, the Premier of Manitoba, Bob Canoe. You and William go way back. We've known each other for a minute. You're saying William, but I think you mean Will, who was Big Will on Streets FM, Winnipeg's urban hip-hop radio station back in the day, when I was an up-and-coming rapper trying to get my music played on said radio station. But actually, uh, William was also uh, an up-and-coming med student, and so you should know that in addition to being a wonderfully talented musician, he's also super, super smart, and I think... We would all agree that he's found his calling and is making the most of his gifts, but as a person responsible for the provincial health care system, <laughs> just don't rule it out is all I'm saying <laughs> to William. Do you want to offer an assessment of the Premier's talents as an MC back in the day? You know, I've, I've had the privilege of, of knowing Wob for some time now, and I love that what we see more of his Wob's truly generous, humorous, incredible, kind side. Uh, we're both dads, and I think that's our greatest link that we have in common is how much we care for our boys, and it just goes to say that he would uh, naturally care for our province in the same fashion. So I'm lucky to call Wob Canoe a friend of mine. It's nice to have you both here. Thank you. William, you and I are going to chat a little bit later on. We'll get you back on stage in a few minutes. Thanks again. William Prince, everybody. You and I spoke, Premier, um, in October, the morning after you were elected. I think you had one hour of sleep uh, when you came into our studio. How do you think your life is different now? I think the, the thing that is different is that we placed our bet on the people of Manitoba in our election campaign. We bet that Manitobans, especially after COVID and the pandemic, were tired of division and wanted to hear a message of unity. And so we campaigned on the vision that we are one Manitoba. And I think the thing that is different in my life is that back then that was a bet. And now in the four ensuing months or so, I know that to be true. To see the positive sentiment of Manitobans from all walks of life who are hungry to say we are one province with one shared future. We don't agree on everything, but let's try and do the big things together. Seeing that resoundingly sent message from the people of Manitoba is by far and away the biggest thing that has improved my life since October 3rd. This is a really hard moment right now in this province in yeah. terms of what happened, um, the tragedy in Carmen. And, and suddenly you are thrust into having to, to speak to people about that. And I just wonder what that's like. It's a difficult moment because I think anytime you hear about a two and a half month old, it makes you stop in your tracks. A four-year-old, six-year-old, 17-year-old, a mother. And our province is strong. Our province is good. And yet we have these difficult moments that we still have to grapple with. And so I appreciate you acknowledging that, Matt, and giving us an opportunity to reflect on it. And as a leader, I think the responsibility is to reach out to our fellow Manitobans and to say, while these times are tough, we cannot 
give in to the difficulty. And in fact, we can continue to draw on the things that we've always drawn on as Manitobans, community and family and faith and togetherness to get through this period too. You mentioned healthcare, and it doesn't matter who you talk to in this province. This is a conversation right across the country. You could talk about healthcare every single day, and people will talk about the worries they have around the system, what's happening to the system. We heard from healthcare workers who are burnt out, who feel threatened in their jobs. They're leaving the profession, or they're going to private agencies, nurses in particular. What are you going to do about that? That seems like an existential threat to the system when people don't feel like they can be in the system anymore. So as a politician, I should be in the business of managing expectations, but I will actually raise them. And I will say that I think that answering this question is fundamental to our identity as Canadians, because I think the fact that we have a universal public health care system is one of our fundamental Canadian values. You now have a health care system, though, where private companies are making a lot of money because nurses are being pulled to come and work for them, pulled out of a public system in some ways. And as a public health care system, we need to ask, what is that nursing agency offering? And then reverse engineer that and make sure that the offer in the public system is, ju- is just as strong. So is it work-life balance? Is it the ability to plan around your kids' lives and to be able to take your children to the hockey game or soccer game or dance classes on the weekends or in the evenings? Is it the pay? Is it the flexibility around scheduling? All these things are challenges that we can surmount in the public system. We just have to be able to answer the call. And I think importantly, in Manitoba, one of the important differences we need to, to, to continue to pursue now is to listen to ask the questions of the nurses, of the healthcare professionals, the physicians, the aides, the support staff, ask the question, and then listen to the response and then design our system around what the front lines are telling us. You have the money to do that? We have the money in the system right now. The challenge is not money. We are spending- The challenge is not money. Yes. We are spending more money than ever in healthcare and outcomes are getting worse. So simply spending more money is not going to be the answer. The answer is having a more compassionate, responsive, flexible approach to delivering health care in Manitoba and across Canada. That said, if the Prime Minister were to show up in the next day or so with more money, I would certainly welcome that and appear at a press conference next to him. But the point I'm trying to make is that money alone, just throwing more money at the same existing approach that is leading to that burnout that you're talking about, that is pushing people who've been on the, uh, on the front lines for decades, years, that's not going to work. We have to also rethink the delivery of healthcare in Canada within that context of public, universal, compassionate care for Canadians from all walks of life. Just the last point on this, if we don't get it right, is that, that universal care that's part of the identity of this country, is that a threat, do you think? I believe so, because at the end of the day, if you're asking what is the value that Canadians have articulated through us having a universally publicly accessible healthcare system that sets us apart, that is a constituent of our national identity, it's the idea that we're not going to leave anyone behind. And to me, that is fundamental, not only to the question of what it means to be a Canadian, but what it means to be a Manitoban. One of the other commitments you've made is to search a landfill for the remains of murdered Indigenous women. Um, You committed to doing that 
when I spoke with you the day after the election, when I spoke with uh, your minister of families, Nahani Fontaine, on the program, she became quite emotional um, about that promise. But there are families that are wondering what's taking so long for this search to begin. What would you say to those families? We are committed to searching the landfill. We are going to do it in a way that uh, is respectful for the families. And if I could illustrate the point by way of an anecdote, immediately before our provincial election campaign started, I went to a Sundance ceremony, and it was in the U.S., it was in South Dakota. And I saw a family, a Lakota family there, repatriate uh, a headstone for the remains of a child who had died at a boarding school what we would call a residential school in Canada. This child had uh, died some 140 years ago at a boarding school. The remains were returned, and they were installing the headstone. And I watched over the course of four days as the family, women who are now grandmothers, but who were the multi-generational descendants of this ancestor, feed their loved one, sing songs for their loved one, decorate the headstone in traditional wares, and maintain a vigil. And the answer to the question if we were going to search the landfill was very apparent in that moment. When I looked at these women, when I looked at this Lakota family, and I said, for 140 years, for seven generations, they knew who this person was that was missing from their family. They knew her name, they knew where she fit into their family tree, and they never forgot. And for that 140 years, they maintained a silent vigil, waiting for that person to be returned from them. That's the question at the heart of, do we search the landfill? I want Manitoba to be like the best of what that family brought forward on that day. I want us to be a province that says, no matter how long it takes, no matter what uh, we have to go through to keep this thing together, we are going to ensure that we leave no one behind. People talk about how you, you campaign in poetry and you govern in prose. Um, do you worry that, that you will let people down? No, that's not the thing that I think about. I think about how to try to do the things that we, we told Manitobans we were going to do. Do you feel a personal weight of those expectations? Particularly, for, I mean, I know that you're the, the, the premier of the entire province, but being the first matters to people. And we've talked about this. People see you and they see themselves in you. And I wonder whether you feel that personal weight of expectation. And then whether you worry that, that, that you have to meet almost an unreasonable expectation of people. This is not about me. This is about the people of Manitoba. And so my job is to get up early every day and do my best and to work as hard as I can with a very talented team to deliver what the people in this room and everyone across the province deserves, which is the best. And so you asked the question about being the first. I hold that with a lot of reverence. I in no way diminish uh, you know, the, 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 the thoughtfulness of you bringing that forward. I greet that with humility. But my goal has never been to be the first of any kind of premier. My goal has always been, with a lot of humility, to be the best premier that Manitoba has ever had. I, don't, I won't be the judge of whether I achieve that, but my goal is to put the work in on a daily basis because that's what the people of Manitoba deserve. People deserve the highest quality of government from our democracy. 
you're still new to this job. Um, I'm not trying to move you on or anything like that. <laughs> but it was interesting. I had a conversation. It, it, was, it was one of the last interviews he did um, with Ed Broadbent. And Ed Broadbent said that you are the future of the NDP. Is that a job that you want? Well, I'm the leader of the NDP. Federally. Welcome to Manitoba, Matt. Federally, he was talking about it. He was not casting any shade on this great province, but he was talking federally. Is that a job that you would want? You know, first of all, I want to say that Ed Broadbent was a person dear to so many of us, and we are so much better as a country for having had him in our public sphere. And I've signed up to perform the job of Premier. It's more than a full-time job, and this has 100% of my attention. That's a pretty political answer. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Let me ask you just finally about the city we're in. We are here, and I said at the beginning, it feels like Winnipeg is having a moment. You can talk to people about this, and we're going to talk about this more coming up, about what's going on, about how it's it's being reshaped in some ways by a new generation of Indigenous leaders. Um, When you think about, about what's happening here, What do you think the rest of the country could learn from what's going on in Winnipeg? I think Winnipeg is a place with a bright future that is informed uh, by our past. Like this place has always been a meeting place of many cultures. And I think the fact that this is the province of Chief Peguis and Louis Riel and ancestors who've been at the Forks for 6,000 years in terms of an archaeological timeline, probably a lot longer than that, is an important part of who we are. And what I would want to offer to the rest of the country is that Manitoba is a hardworking place, is a humble place, and the people here are smart. Manitobans over the past 50 years have put a down payment on building up a zero-emission hydroelectricity grid and the building blocks for a safe, clean, environmentally friendly future that has a strong growing economy. And with, you know, all that humility in mind, maybe with a little bravado in turn, I would say maybe it's our turn now Mm. to make good on that bet. And maybe it's our turn to be able to, you know, carry a lot of the, uh, the weight of expectations that you spoke about for the rest of the country. Because I feel like Winnipeg and I feel like the rest of Manitoba is more than up for that challenge. And we have a ton to share with the rest of Canada. We're really glad to have you here. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks so much for having me. This is the Premier of Manitoba, Rob Canoe. My name is Matt Galloway, and this is a special edition of The Current, live in Winnipeg. As we heard from the Premier, the city is undergoing a transformation. Take the Bank of Montreal building at the iconic corner of Portage and Maine. That will be the new Métis Nation Heritage Centre. Just up the street, the Southern Chiefs organization is breathing new life into the landmark space once owned by the Hudson's Bay Company. And now you can add Nawe Odena to that list. Gordon Bluesky is the chief of Broken Head Ojibwe Nation, chairperson for the Treaty One Nations Governing Council, and Treaty One is developing this space, more than 100 acres of land in Winnipeg that will be the largest economic development of its kind in Canada. Diane Rusin is a social innovator, director of the Boldness Project in Winnipeg. She is a member of the Scowan First Nation in Manitoba. Negan Sinclair is a member of the Peguis First Nation, professor in Indigenous Studies at the University of Manitoba, author of a forthcoming book, Winnipeg, Visions of Canada from an Indigenous Centre. He's also, of course, a columnist for the Free Press, and they join us all on stage. Hello to you all. Thank you for being here. An all-star collection of guests. Chief Blue Sky, give a 
people across this country who don't know about this project, a sketch of what it's going to be? Well, Nauri Odna has been a, uh, a work in progress for over 20 years now. I see uh, a lot of residential development, commercial space. We see a lot of uh, opportunities for our institutions. We're dis- having discussions about having one of the largest health centers in, uh, in there as well. That'll be supporting and, and working towards having a place that's more suitable for our people to be coming into the healthcare system. So it's a really exciting project. We- <laughs> Currently, we have a uh, you know 90 some percent Treaty One people that are working on its design, its uh, inception, and and so on. Like so, going forward, our our goal is to see exactly that First Nations people thriving, not just surviving anymore. What do you think the rest of the country can learn from a project like this? Well, I think it's going to show showcase what we can do as Indigenous people and what we should have been doing from the first place. I, I just know that this is going to be setting the example across the country. What's, I know what, what's different now. Do you think? Well, I know currently in the in the region, I get a lot of calls from First Nations uh, locally and beyond that are really encouraging us and also very inspired by the work that we're doing. Mm. So I know for sure that other First Nations across the country and across Manitoba are going to start to work together collaboratively. Diane, what do you make of what's happening in Winnipeg right now? And I ask you this based on the work that you're doing, particularly within the inner city. What's, what's the story that you want to tell to the rest of the country? What I see in the inner city, we heard our premier uh, talking about the healthcare system. And so there are lots of systems all around us, uh, justice system, education system, you name it. And those systems are not serving our Indigenous families, and I, I would argue actually any family, very well. And so what I'm doing in the inner city is running a research project where we're tapping into the Indigenous wisdom of families and of children, and we're trying to figure out how to better design those systems so that they have better health and wellness outcomes. Is there something about what's happening now, like about the time that is allowing this to happen, that it could have happened in the past, but it didn't. But now it seems like parts are coming together in a way that perhaps they didn't before. There is definitely, I feel there's definitely more of an appetite for, um, you know, this thing we're calling truth and reconciliation. And so I do feel like more and more Canadians, more and more, you know, Manitobans, Winnipeggers are leaning into that conversation. I know one thing about the Winnipeg Boldness as a research project, we use the language of cross-sector collaboration. And that really means just like not working in silos anymore. It really means that it is going to take all of us. So we need, you know, the government, we need uh, the corporate, we need uh, the philanthropic, you know, we need the community. So all of us coming together, we all do hold a part of the solution. And I feel there's way more of an appetite for that that uh, kind of collaboration mm. than we've ever seen before. Niga, <laughs> that's worth cheering. The subtitle of your book, Nigan, is uh, referring to this city as, as an indigenous center. What do you think the rest of the country could learn from this indigenous center? Uh, well, a few times tonight we've used the term uh, Winnipeg is having a moment. Uh, Winnipeg is the moment. And what I mean by that is we are the first steps of confederation. So Treaty 1 was birthed in this place. The Red River Métis was birthed in this place. We are the future of the country because the fastest growing population are young indigenous peoples in this country, growing faster than anybody else exponentially. And so as a result, just like hundreds of years ago, when we welcomed the newcomers in, taught them, saved their lives, you know, where to, where to eat, where to find the medicines, 
it will be those young people, and one of them you just met just a minute ago, uh, Wab Canoe, who will lead this country into what is the most critical issue going forward to deal with the economy, the environment, and escalating conflict. It is Indigenous peoples that have always taught the newcomers how to live in this place. And so it will be those young Indigenous peoples that will vote in a First Nations Premier, and that's what it looks like. That's what Canada looks like in the future, and that's why this place is the future of this country. What do you think people get wrong about this place? Well, I think I speak for all of us uh, in that we're all sick and tired of reporters, journalists, writers coming to our city and deciding what we are. I think what people don't understand about this place is they come here for a weekend or a coffee break and they come and see what is struggles in the downtown core, what they see is struggles on First Nations, what they see is struggles like we see currently happening within our province in the horrible tragedy in Carmen, Manitoba. And they think that's Manitoba. But what is birthed here is more solutions to racism, poverty, and violence than anywhere else. You will see people putting their lives on, their lives on the line tonight for people in encampments like everybody from non-Indigenous peoples in some of the most wealthiest areas of the city to Indigenous peoples in the downtown core who are related to those who are in encampments to people who are sending food from all the rural areas to come to downtown. And so you see more solutions here, and that's really what my book is about. Mm. What is the opportunity? We've hinted at this, and Negan hinted at this. We talked about it a little bit with, with the Premier as well. Chief Blue Sky, what is the opportunity in terms of those developments for the next generation of Indigenous youth in this city? I mean, if you think of, of the young people who will look to those developments and look to what you're saying and try to chart their future, what do you think that will mean for them? I, I, you know, I, I got three beautiful daughters that I think about, and the work that I do every day is for them. Uh, the success that we have collectively as people is really is to, to blaze the trail and the path for them as well. So what I see is, uh, as a 60 Scoop survivor is our children in the future thriving and not just surviving as I did. And for myself personally, I see this place as an opportunity to see, you know, First Nation, Anishinaabek engineers, architects, police, City, uh, city service people, and it will become a common place and a common thing throughout this uh, city. And I know it's just a start. Nauvi Odin is just a start of what we're going to be doing throughout Treaty 1. What do you, what do you see as the future? For, uh, well, for myself personally, I see ourselves getting back to where we are rightful place here in this province and, and, and within our nation, within our lands. You know, the, we, we're not foreign to economic development. We're not foreign to trade. We're not foreign to being successful and That's wealthy. really important to stress, to, to right? Be, to be wealthy, that we're not foreign to that but it was taken away systematically. Our treaty relationship at one time was based on respect, mutual beneficial arrangement, and then slowly over time, the system that was put in place and installed took a lot of things away from us. And what I want to see is our children not looking at the past as being something that's painful or traumatic, like Negon was stating, something that we would be proud of and looking forward. And we start to have collective conversations about success. Diane, you nodded all the way through what he was saying. <laughs> what rings to you true about that when you think of that next generation and what they will inherit but also shape? 
I also have my two daughter, beautiful daughters in the audience today, mm. and they're, they can't be more proud of who they are. And it's, it's almost like it's a competition to be, how proud can we be? And so I think you're seeing that. And so it's up to you know folks like us on stage and, and others and those of us in the audience to create the opportunities for those young ones. And because if we don't, they're just going to take it. <laughs> and so, you know, so we have to be prepared for that conversation. And I, I'm ready for that conversation. <laughs> Negan, last word to you on this. What does thriving look like for that next generation, do you think? So the word Winnipeg, the, the name of this place that we are in right now, uh, isn't referring to the city. That came much later. Winnipeg is referring to the watershed. And what it means is it's a Cree word in which uh, it's Cree science. And it talks a lot about how things that fall onto the earth, that seep through the rivers, uh, that come into the, uh, the great lake Winnipeg, uh, create this medicine, uh, this mashkiki, this this algae, or what we refer to in Ojibwe as atagib. Winnipeg is in is created from life, from a subsequent series of people, beings, non-human, human, welcoming each other in and taking care of each other. Uh, and ultimately, by us coming together, we create medicine, we create life. And some of that medicine is not pleasant, as we know that violence teaches us, uh, alcoholism teaches us, addiction teaches us. But the most powerful medicine is that when we come together and we birth our children, that we birth nations, and that we come into this place and make new languages. Or as an elder once said to me, uh, you know, everything we need is right here. And that we always had the internet, we just called it the rivers. Hmm. We just need to look to each other, build relationships, build families, and ultimately that will be the medicine that will carry us forward into the future. And by the way, uh, Canada is an indigenous word which means the village, so to be the most Kanatian would be to be in Winnipeg. Welcome to the center of the universe. In some ways, here we are. Um, we're really glad to have you all here. Thank you very much. There's a lot of optimism and hope in what you're all saying, and that's there's, it's, it's a complicated time and a difficult time, but it's exciting to be, like, it's infectious in some ways to be seized by that optimism. Thank you very much. Gordon Bluesky is chairperson for the Treaty One Nations Governing Council, chief of Broken Head Ojibwe Nation, Diane Rusin, director of the Boldness Project in Winnipeg, and Negan Sinclair is the author of an upcoming book, Winnipeg Visions of Canada from an Indigenous Center. Thank you. We are here in front of a full house at the West End Culture Center in downtown Winnipeg. Tickets for this event sold out in less than an hour. The big reason for that, the guests that we have on stage, including our special guest tonight. Please welcome back to this stage, William Prince. I'm going to play a song called Peace of Mind. No, you can't. Put a price on peace of mind No, you can't put a price on peace of mind You will come to a crossroad Sometime in your life But you can't put a price on peace of mind I don't need a mansion on Wellington So long as I a mansion on the hill 
Spare me my eyesight, a voice and hands that till. And I will build my mansion on the hill. But you can't put a price on peace of mind. No, you can't put a price on peace of mind. You will come to a crossroad. Sometime in your life, but you can't put a price on peace of mind. I don't need a Chevrolet to get around, a rocket with some stickers on the side. Give me my bare feet, and I'll walk door to door. And stand in the joy where I've never stood before. I will stand in the joy. I will stand in the joy. But you can't put a price on peace of mind. No, you can't put a price on peace of mind. You will come to a crossroad. Sometime in your life, but you can't put a price on peace of mind. All right, Winnipeg, don't let me down now. Try one of these together for Matt. No, you can't put a price on peace of mind. No, you can't put a price on peace of mind. You will come to a crossroad sometime in your life. But you can't put a price on peace of mind. Thank you. Give it up for William Prince. Give it up for yourselves, though. Audience can sing. Oh, Winnipeg. Winnipeg has singers in it. That's why I called that out. That was nice. Solid. Um, you've had a wild year. I said that it was like you're strapped to a rocket in some ways, the success that you've had. How do you think back on, on, on what's happened to you over the last little while? I think it's things that I was manifesting for a while, so I've been hoping upon them, but you don't really think about the Grand Ole Opry, I guess, and all of a sudden one day it was a reality. You know, uh, the great Winston Watney once told me that if you stay dedicated to what you love, it'll eventually become all that you do, all that you are. And back when I was writing songs in little apartments, I was writing them and performing as if I were on the Opry, I guess, you know? So the whole time has been one long preparation period, I guess, to get ready for these things so that when they did finally come to fruition, to light, uh, I would be ready for them. So 
I guess I'm feeling uh, like another day at the office, truthfully, but um, <laughs> I say that, you know, with, I say that with humility. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful blessing to be able to do those things. So. What is it like when you write a song and the audience sings back the words? Well, it's, it's honestly um, one of the greatest, most fulfilling reciprocations of energy that you can receive to, to be an artist and to make art that resonates with people in any way and becomes such a big fab part of the fabric of their life. You know, um, mm. that's the greatest joy, truly the greatest compliment to me um, is that people are, are moved so much that they, they fill theaters for you. They listen to your music. They send very long paragraphs to my emails. <laughs> asking me to play their daughter-in-law's birthday parties and come to our wedding, you know? I would, I would go to every wedding if I could, and that's, that's the greatest honor of my life. I'm so humbled by it. What does that mean? We heard that in that song, that idea of stand in the joy. Well, standing in the joy is the active choice and practice of looking around at the things we have rather than focusing or sitting in the things that have either not been intended for us, not meant for us, or have passed us. And it's not allowing um, worry and anxiety, those things, to rob us of the joys of the present because we don't know how long we're going to be here. And I think of the people in my life and the legacy I want to leave behind, it's one of hopefully not just serious contemplation and getting through struggle. You know, my, the first decade of my recorded career was very focused on grief and transition out of a difficult time, the loss of my father, becoming a father. So while I've been quite comfortable in speaking of those things, joy and happiness is a huge part of who I am too. And I was raised in a place where Happiness could sometimes feel insensitive, where you can't really celebrate your accomplishments. You can't really lift up what's making you joyous because it may rub somebody the wrong way. It may feel or look insensitive to somebody who's having an even harder time. I, too, hail from the Pegasus First Nation so proudly, and it's um, like any place. It has its challenges, but it also has its, its beautiful victories, and it has its... Uh, youth that are are shining so bright, just like just like I was, you know, as a kid chasing a dream. So I do a disservice to those that love me and care for me and have watched me climb in any way uh, by not not leaning into the good, not standing in the joy, not saying I'm happy today, and you know, letting my my big cheeks smile, even though it's not the most <laughs> ideal photo to me sometimes. <laughs> One day my son's going to look back, he's going to say, you know, my, my dad was happy. My dad had a good time while he was here with us. So that's, that's the important thing to me is leaving a legacy of standing in the joy and choosing it, even though it can feel a little vulnerable and foreign at times. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand in the joy where I've never stood before, proudly proclaiming these things that we're talking about here today. And there's something we could all learn from that. What are you going to play for us? I'd love to play another song. You know, Stand in the Joy, in parentheses, or in, a, in its place, could have been called uh, Love and Time. This song, this record, these ten songs, 
uh, celebrate the love in my life and how I want as much time as possible. In the morning, just before the sound awakes, Mother Nature walks naked in the street. And it's been some time since the sunshine rose in the same time zone, feeling like I haven't slept in weeks. Running scared, chasing memories. Brother, don't drive fast. Hard enough to see you as it is. When you do come back, maybe it'll be more like it was And time will be the only thing we need Time will be the only thing we need Can you feel the winter coming? Do you see the clouds rolling? All of the leaves return to seeds on the ground. Swear I heard the reaper rumbling. Something in my side aching. All that will be is already done. All that will be is already done. Brother, don't drive fast Hard enough to see you as it is When you do come back, maybe it'll be More like it was And time will be The only thing we need Brother, don't drive fast Hard enough to see you as it is When you do come back maybe it'll be More like it was And time will be The only thing we need Time will be the only thing we need Time will be the only thing we need. William Prince. My name's Matt Galloway, live in Winnipeg. This is a special edition of The Current. We're having some fun here tonight. Um, we've been here for a couple of days, and I will admit, when we came to Winnipeg in February, I thought it was going to be a bit colder. <laughs> I was ready for some bone-chilling days, a lot of snow. We thought we'd get out on the river. There would be ice. It was kind of wild from a distance watching the weather leading up to this. There's drizzle, there's rain. We got here. There's a little bit of snow tonight, but it doesn't feel like early February. The return of cold temperatures 
such as they are, is welcome news for my next two guests. They both play key roles in making this city a winter city, a great winter city. Please welcome, if you would, Liz Reeford and Anders Swanson. So one of the things that I had hoped to do, Liz, was try this thing called the Manitoboggan. We were not able to do the Manitoboggan, but can you explain to the rest of the country what, what this creation is? Sure. I really wanted to take you on Manitoboggan. I'm sorry. The winter just didn't It's not your fault. Up. It's the winter's I know, fault. I know. And perhaps I'm better off not <laughs> risking my life maybe, hurtling maybe. down this thing, but describe what yeah. it is. Yeah. Okay. So uh, in Winnipeg, we don't have any hills, so we have to build them. Um, so this is a phenomenon that I don't think happens anywhere else, but we actually build toboggan hills, toboggan slides. So Manitoboggan is a large wood structure that um, has two toboggan slides with long ice chutes at the bottom of them. Um, it also has a warming shelter and it is accessible, so it has a ramp that takes you up to the top of the slide. So as far as we know, this is the first and maybe only accessible toboggan slide in the entire world. With luck, there will be an opportunity to use Manitoboggan in the weeks ahead for yes. people who are here. And with luck, there will also be an opportunity to play the sport that is sweeping the nation. Perhaps not yet, but hopefully soon. Croquet curl? Yes, yes. Croquet curl is a combination of crokinole and curling. And when I ask when I talk in other cities what crokinole is, only a handful of people put their hands up. But how many people here know what crokinole is? Right? Right. Like most of the hands in the Almost audience Almost everybody. <laughs> so that doesn't happen anywhere else. But crokinole is a game that is quite specific to Winnipeg and the prairies and parts of Ontario. It is a uh, wooden board game that you play on a tabletop. Uh, you flick chips into the middle of the board. Um, and one day we were playing crokinole in my office and we kind of started talking about it and thought, oh, this is actually pretty similar to curling. But for sure someone's done this before, like put the two things together. And so we looked it up and um, found out that nobody had. So we spent the next few weeks in our office um, developing rules and kind of designing the whole thing. And um, I took it to the Forks in Winnipeg and uh, said, I think this is actually going to be awesome. You should probably build it. And they said, okay. And, um, and they did, and that was uh, 2017, and you basically play it like crokinole, but with curling rocks on ice. It was so popular so quickly, people called it the most Canadian thing that's ever happened. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's been built all across Canada in the last few years. It's even been built in the States, even See, though they have no idea what crokinole is. I wasn't exaggerating <laughs> when I said it's sweeping the yeah, country. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, the way that you both speak about winter, and Anders, you're part of this as well, is really, I was going to say poetic, but it is. I mean, you, you love that season and you love the possibility of that season. Tell us what you do um, with your organization, uh, Winnipeg Trails, to try to get people to embrace Something that maybe people elsewhere in the country run away from, which is cold temperatures and a lot of snow. We started a program called Winterpeg uh, during COVID. Everything else was closed and we were the most popular thing on the planet. At least, well, here, which is the center of the universe. And um, <laughs> what we decided to do was beckon people outside. It wasn't easy to call it Winterpeg because it's already a thing that people use, I would argue, pejoratively. Mm. Um, but I like to think, you know, winter is our ocean. 
you know, uh, the ocean is bigger than us. It, tell, it puts us in our place. It makes us feel nature in a present way. Um, and just like the ocean is, is fun. I mean, I think we, we, we're living in a time where, you know, we're rethinking how work works. We're rethinking how time works. And I think sort of that connection to nature is what we need to get back to. It's the future of all kinds of things. And so we just ask people to come outside and we ask ourselves, what could we actually do? Um, and what turns out what we could actually do is ask Winnipegers and hundreds of you um, gave us ski equipment. And we car- created something called the Mobile Ski Library, which turns out doesn't exist anywhere. <laughs> and, and the Mobile Ski lab- Library is just an offer. It says, come outside and play, when it's become a real hit. Part of this is, is making it for everyone. Um, and this is something Liz talked about as well with the Manitoboggan, that it's accessible. Mm-hmm. There's somebody who's in our audience, and I met him uh, on Sunday when we were down at the Forks. Oleks Korniko, who is a Paralympian from Ukraine, who's here with us, who has been doing a bunch of work Whoa. to make winter more fun. There he is. I mean, it sounds obvious, but, but why is that so important? One thing I've learned is that when you plan for everybody, um, everybody wins. Yeah. And, and I guess what I mean by that is for Winterpeg, because we brought all this equipment near you, it was free. That's another thing I think that Winnipeg can teach the world is if you love something, you should share it. Hmm. So we brought this equipment and, and people it erased barriers for, for everyone. So we're trying to share this message that winter is actually an enabler. When our rivers freeze, we have pedestrian bridges from our houses to any of our friends. And when it when it comes, we should embrace it because um, it's sort of like a reset button. It's a reset button mentally for ourselves, for our, for our psyche, and it's a reset button sort of for the city. And I, I got to say, in case you kick me off here, uh, Matt, um, I love your shirt. So Matt's, Matt's wearing a shirt with a, a bicycle with a, a maple leaf on it, and I, I just finished 10 years as the chair of Canada's Bicycle Federation. Mm. And I went into that being from Winnipeg thinking, okay, if there's one thing that I'm going to share with the rest of the world, it's the fact that if we can have biking in Winnipeg year-round, then the rest of the world can have that. (laughs) And I learned through that process that there are people everywhere that are embracing the winter and being able to do that. So I I just, I think the future is full of joy. I really do. Liz, what's, what's the lesson when it comes to winter that Winnipeg could teach the rest of the country, do you think? It's the spirit of collaboration that we all have here. Um, we have many newcomers in this city, and finding winter activities for them to do that isn't skating. You know, a lot of Winnipeggers can skate before they can walk, but people that move here can't do that. So what are, what are other things that we can offer that everybody can do? I think we're doing that really well as a city. Let it snow and let it get cold. Yeah, please. <laughs> Thank you both. Liz Reeford is a landscape architect, inventor of Coca Curl. Anders Swanson is executive director of Winnipeg Trails and the Winter Peg Festival. You're listening to The Current. This is a special edition. We're live in Winnipeg. My name is Matt Galloway. Manitoba has a big and established Ukrainian community, and it has welcomed that community and the entire province, many newcomers, since the war began two years ago. Daria Zozulia knows what those newcomers are facing. She left Crimea with her family when Russia invaded in 2014. Winnipeg is now her home. She works at Sausage Makers Delicatessen Meat Market and has been hiring Ukrainian refugees who are getting their start here. Daria is with us on stage. Hi. Hi. It's such a privilege to be here. 
and honor and how you mentioned this is our new home yeah. in Winnipeg. Why are you so committed to making sure that for other people who are finding this their new home that you offer them you're opening the door. Well, I'll give a little bit introduction or a little bit story behind. We came, myself and my husband and our daughter, 10 years ago, actually in March, will be our anniversary. And for all immigrants, we count every year. <laughs> and when we came, we struggled finding a job, of course, adjusting. Um, funny story, but this is real. My first borscht, you know, everybody, all Ukrainians, they know how to make borscht. So I went shopping and I bought lettuce and I brought it home and I said, oh my goodness, in Canada, they even don't have a normal cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it, it, it tastes actually good, <laughs> even with lettuce. <laughs> Everything was very new, very strange, people, culture, accent, uh, so multicultural. Mm so friendly you would say oh why they all say hi to me I'm like i don't know you i'm like okay give me a bit of space so <laughs> friendly manitoba i know now i know friendly manitoba that's true so uh, yeah and now with the war continues or came on a second wave i would say um i know what they're going through all these families and single moms with their kids my parents had to leave country for the same reason they were. Um, um, it's really emotional even I talking know. about it now. <laughs> because you know when I'm talking about parents. And um, here we noticed the first one, how the war started because of the time uh, difference. It was 10 p.m. exactly. I remember we were still not in the bed. My parents, our parents were um, in Ukraine. And they didn't know what to do. They took basically their passports and uh, toys for my kids <laughs> and that's it and they left left whatever they had apartment job career you know friends everything hmm. so i know what these people are going through and um, they didn't plan to leave the country they didn't plan to leave their businesses their loved ones their jobs and how difficult it is to settle in new absolutely new environment how does it feel to help them Oh, I feel joy and pleasure and honor that at least I can help because some people helped me once. They taught me how to use washing machine and how to use dryers. So same thing with them. I feel joy that I'm able, I became friends to them. I'm trying to help them to feel like home and I think they are feeling that and they try to believe and try to adjust and hope that that will be their home. They're lucky to have you here. You're doing really important work. Well, I'm lucky to have them. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for Thank being you. here. Thank you. Daria Zozulia works at Sausage Makers Delicatessen Meat Market and is an important part of uh, the Ukrainian community. Thank you very much. So whenever we go on the road, um, one of the things that we have to do because I like to eat um, is to eat the local food. And we are going to talk about the food of Manitoba. Yes, we are going to be talking about nips and fat boys and honey dill sauce and how the food culture here has been shaped by indigenous communities and waves and waves and waves of newcomers like the ones we were just talking about. Here with me on stage, 
Janice Thiessen, who is a food historian, co-author along with Kimberly Moore of a forthcoming book that I was reading on the plane ride here, and I apologize to the person who is sitting beside me because you could probably hear my stomach grumbling away. The book is called Mmm, Manitoba, the stories behind the foods we eat. We're also joined by Patrick Anderson, who's a chef and instructor at the Indigenous Culinary Schools program at Red River College. Hello to you both. Janice, when you think of of the dishes that are distinctly Manitoban, what immediately comes to mind? Uh, Possibly vina tarta. (laughs) You have to explain what that is. Vina tarta is an Icelandic uh, treat. It's a cake, multiple layers, very thin cake with jam in between and then icing. And it is more popular in Manitoba than back in Iceland where it comes from. (laughs) Can we talk about the fat boy? Uh, we must talk about that. Um, in the book, you say, these are ours, they belong to Winnipeggers. Yes, the words of my co-author, Kimberly Moore. They are distinct. You can only find fat boys here. They're a phenomenon of the Greek diner culture that emerged in Winnipeg. I availed myself of one today. At Junior's? Good choice. Yep. <laughs> I'm different now, having eaten... <laughs> What, I mean, you have to explain what it is. There are people across the country who have no idea what I, what I ate. It's a cheeseburger. It has to have uh, lettuce and tomato. The lettuce has to be shredded. And then the key feature is it has to have Greek chili, which mm. is runny, no beans, and it has cinnamon. What, is, what does it mean to this province? Uh, Aside from the fact that it's delicious. It's a survival skill for winter. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, from your perspective, what, what are the most iconic foods of Manitoba? Speaking on indigenous food, exactly, um, what I hear a lot from my students is moose meat, actually. Moose meat, you know, with a delicious fry bread. But anything that is locally sourced in Manitoba, that's what I think about as Manitoban cuisine. So what we're trying to teach our students is, what do you eat now? How can you replace that with a traditional ingredient, like bannock, for instance? A lot of white flour right? Not the healthiest thing. We're trying to teach students how to mill down wild rice, red lentils, pea fiber, substitute a little bit of that natural ingredient in there just to take away the 100% white flour Mm. and add a little bit of nutrients into that dish. So that's what we're trying to do is just slowly integrate these traditional ingredients to get back to a more traditional diet, which is what our, our bodies are wanting. You have an assignment for your students called eating the weed. Eating the weeds, yes, that's a fun assignment. Um, It's not what it sounds like. Explain what it is. (laughs) Well, it kind of is exactly what it sounds like. Um, (laughs) I take that back. (laughs) We all have ingredients that grow in our backyard that we've never used before. Um, The pineapple weed, burdock, um, bulrushes. All of those ingredients can be eaten, and they have been eaten in the past. Indigenous communities used to say if we found bulrushes, we had a source of fire, a source of water, and a source of fuel Mm. because they grow in water you can burn the fluff and you can eat the husk the inside of it it actually kind of tastes like corn when you boil it down and you roast it it's fascinating and it's a complete just gets people thinking so differently about what's around them exactly you think outside the box a little bit the things that are around you that perhaps you don't understand is is part of of what you did with this book janice You, you tell us a little bit about the approach Uh, We had a food truck and took it to various locations, invited people on board the truck to cook a sample of something meaningful, not necessarily tasty, but meaningful to them. 
And then while they cooked it and while we ate it together, we interviewed them about their lives and how that food fit in with their own history and their community's history. Not necessarily tasty. Food can be meaningful without being delicious, right? <laughs> the, the example I always share is uh, the pork chops my mother made. She would fry them till they would curl and then rehydrate them with a topping of like that bright green pickle relish. And so that's what I grew up with. It was years before I figured out there was another way to do pork chops. Right? <laughs> but it ties into all these memories about like my parents, their upbringing in the 30s and the 40s. You learn so much about history even from foods that are not, should not be replicated. <laughs> what did you learn about your province in doing this? Uh, tremendously varied, immense histories, some of them dating back you know, tens of thousands of years. Everyone very much dedicated to uh, their community and food as a way of sharing their history. What do you think the food that we eat tells us about who we are? I think it tells us about what is important to us. Many of us are eating out of convenience because time is uh, very valuable to us. And I guess it's what you prioritize in your life. Is your time more important or is your long-term health? There's something, I mean, there's sustenance in that, but there's a philosophical argument to that as well. Yeah, I think so as well. Thanks both for telling us about what you're doing. I think we're all hungry now. Thank you, Matt. Chef Patrick Anderson teaches in the Indigenous Culinary Skills Program at Red River College. Janice Thiessen is co-author of the forthcoming and delicious book, Mm, Manitoba, the stories behind the food we eat. Thank you both. This is a special edition of The Current. We are in the West End Cultural Center in Winnipeg. My name is Matt Galloway. When we thought of this idea of coming here, we were thinking, who do we want to have on stage? And it was a total wild shot. We could ask for William Prince. Ah, he's not going to do it. There's not really... He's busy. He said yes. And we've been so lucky to have him here. Please welcome back to the stage the pride of the Pegasus First Nation, William Prince. What was it like to play with Willie Nelson? Uh, it was everything. You know, I get called up on stage by... Uh, the incredible Mickey Raphael, uh, he invited me to join the band, and uh, Willie looked over and pointed at me and said, that's William Prince over there. And it was pretty incredible, pretty incredible moment. So this show is going to air, uh, is airing on Valentine's Day. Do, do you dedicate the song to anybody in particular? Oh, yeah, this, this song is... Um, this song focused on the protagonist of the record, I'd say. My, my fiance, Alicia Grace, who chooses joy so readily and helps me lighten my heart. She's, uh, she's featured on the cover of the record, and uh, a record is something that you buy in a store. <laughs> and there's a picture on it on the front, but she helps me not throw away the whole day when I drop my keys or... Uh, have to go back upstairs to get my wallet. And I think of all these grouchy things, and it's really because of my, my health, my, you know, how I feel inside. So I want to transform that. You know, I'm in this fresh decade, and a new era is approaching where I want to live long and have my actions be reflective of that. And it's also 
dedicated to, to Wyatt. You know, my, when it comes down to it, it's really those two other people. If we were running for shelter, who would I think of? I, I would think of Alicia and Wyatt, you know, my, my family. This is all these things, all these successes, all these privileges, really, these opportunities that have come, it's all for them. It's, it's really for their happiness. And the greatest honor in my life that I get to make art, and, and it's not normal to be applauded for all the time, every single week, but I take that applause and I wear it with pride for all my First Nations brothers and sisters in this country and everybody out there, you know, who, who didn't have as easy a go as I have. You know, I had very supportive parents. I had people around me that loved me all the time. And this song is just about taking a look at that love and really cherishing it. There's a time in the spring when it's still cold, but not as it once was. And I'm going for a stroll and say hello to every new thing coming up. Older than me, cracks in the street, bark on the trees is glistening with sunshine. I can feel the heat on my skin Can't believe I woke up again But I believe it now Just take a look around There's a woman in bed with nothing on She's laying next to me And when she wakes up I ought to be More like who she loved When we first met Heaven and earth They'd wait for her Diamonds and pearls No, they don't mean anything She would place her hands on my skin Calm the fear I held within I'd be lost without her now She had me take a look around As young as he once was And I hope he grows into someone That he truly loves Lighten the heart 
Courageous and sharp knows how to roll with the punches I hope he knows when he's done wrong I hope he feels me when I'm gone Cause it won't be long now So take a good look around No, it won't be long now So take a good look around It's William Prince. Lucky us. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your tour. Good luck with everything. It's kind of amazing uh, to see where you have been, but who knows where you will go in future. It feels like the future is kind of limitless for you. Yeah, I feel like we're we're always just being reborn in the journey. You know, I one of my favorite things I say is that. I hope I never make it. I hope I just keep making it, you know? <laughs> William Prince's new album is called Stand in the Joy, and we have been just blessed to have him here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. It's been really great. Thank you very much. My name is Matt Galloway. It's been a special edition of The Current from Winnipeg. We'll talk to you soon. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.